0: You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to Life in Ruins podcast, where we investigate the careers of those living life in ruins. I'm your host, Carlton Gover, and I'm joined by my co-host, David John. David, David John, and that's wrong. John and David.
1: the fully white one is not here i'm here with david david dean Howe.
0: just me and david today just the two of us just broing it out for this lovely lovely episode 130 so the last time we recorded together i think was was it in july probably dude who did we interview i i don't recall man it's been a while since i've been on the podcast well i guess that's not true we recorded i recorded chance he came out not chance the rapper chance the lakota
1: <laughs> georgia butcher my goodness. So yeah, August. It's
0: been like six, seven weeks.
1: Yeah, we've we've had a busy summer, you and I. Yeah, I think and so is
0: Connor. I think the three of us finally hit that point of do we do we even want to do this anymore? Because we got <laughs> really drunk at Craves wedding when the three of us were together last and had to have that conversation of like, what are we doing at this point? Everyone moment. was like,
1: Hey, wait, you didn't help clean up the wedding. What were you doing? I was like, we We're talking podcasts. They're like, Is the band breaking up? <laughs> <laughs> and then I talked to a few people about it around Wyoming they're like dude I go to Wyoming because of this podcast shout out uh, Jacob Ardzen and uh, I was like oh shit right <laughs> like, we do good work we've got to keep doing this <laughs> yeah I think it's just
0: I mean we've been doing this for almost we started this in 2019 so yeah like three years ago yeah pre-pandemic yeah. we've been doing this for three years and we just this this was the summer where we were just all do you, you have the traveling van? Got a job in Wyoming. I moved states again
1: and trying to, trying to do my own big boy job. You know what's fun? Having a master's degree and being permitted in these two states out here, Wyoming and Colorado, and getting constant calls. Hey, <sighs> can you join this project and being like, yeah, fine. What are you going to pay me? And then I'm pitting two pig dealers against each other, seeing who will pay me more. And then I run into Dr. Devin Pettigrew out in the field. (laughs) I'm supposed to take pictures of bulldozers cutting through grass so I can tell confirm there's no archaeology. And then Dr. Pettigrew comes and takes pictures of me to confirm that I am taking pictures of bulldozers confirming there's no archaeology. (laughs) And the man has a doctorate and also was poached by this job. And they were like, this is how much money we'll pay you. And he was like, I'm in. (laughs) So we're out here. For those of you who don't know, monitoring is just that. Bulldozers and cranes and excavators dig holes and an archaeologist and a paleontologist have to sit there and make sure no artifacts or fossils come out.
0: So I You're got headhunted
1: for that job too. I'm sure you did. Probably Todd Saraville and Bob Kelly themselves got headhunted for this job.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, got a, I got a call from a message on LinkedIn, like, hey, we have this exciting opportunity. And I yeah, thought I was yeah. talking to like an archaeologist. No, I was talking to a headhunter. And I was like, I no. have a tenure track position. Like, can you compete with that? Like, I think we can arrange something. And I was like, okay, I'm listening. Talked to him on the phone. And I was like, so this is what I'm making. This is how long my contract's for. And like, yeah, we just, we just, you know we can't compete with that. And yeah. I was like, yeah. Cause they wanted me to like drive out from Bloomington. They weren't going to relocate me. They're like, you want to work in Wyoming? I'm like,
1: I live in Indiana now. <laughs> like well, we pay for <laughs> you know, that's- travel. It's like, like it's two days to get out there. Fuck you. That's what they do, man. That, those big hiring agencies. Like I think it was act talent headhunted me and like, or no, the company itself, Uh, I can't name the name but then Act Talent which I don't care about naming the name because they literally tried to mob boss me into this job and I was like hey I'm actually working with this company because they're going to pay me more and they offered me more and they were like oh uh, what is their name we'll shoot them an email and they shot them an email and then I was like yeah you're going to pay me more and then they still didn't pay me more and then they were like, it would be very wise of you to take this job. And I was like, are you threatening me? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> and they were like, you'll burn many bridges out here. And I was like, I don't care. I'm going with the company that I like. And like, <laughs> it's just so weird, man. All those big, like these projects really need to get done.
0: Yeah. I've been thinking about CRM a lot recently, not because I want to get back into it because of the new program I'm in, like Indiana doesn't have a master's. They don't offer a master's. Hmm. You like get it along the way, and there's really no CRM focus. Like at Wyoming, there was Rick's Rick Weatherman's CRM lab. Like you learned methods, but like in my program at the moment, no one's really teaching methods. They teach like fun things. Don't get me wrong, but in terms of the applicability of some of the courses that you learned through your PhD program here, don't translate well to cultural resources management. And so we had to have like some fun conversations these past couple of weeks of like, can we think about doing a master's program? Because some students will enroll in the PhD and then they'll pass their qualifying exams, which gets them their master's and then they just leave. So there's no thesis involved. They just have to answer a couple questions and then they're out and it's like, okay, now what can you do in ar- with an archeology span master's without a thesis or without field work? It's, it's, it's a different landscape than when I think this program that I'm in now was founded a mm-hmm. hundred years ago, <laughs> you know, like this is a very yeah. old four fields department and I think it's reflected in some of those ways. So we're trying to work out, cause Alex Crabe's going to be moving out here to start a CRM job out in Kentucky. So me and him were talking about the possibility of me sending students in the
1: program in Indiana to do summer CRM with Crabe's company. Good. Yeah. And again, for the audience listening, like, again, we stress this all the time. You don't have to be a professor. There are so many job opportunities in anthropology where having a PhD might overqualify you. I'm sure Devin is paid a little more than me. He's working for a different company because he has a PhD, but like, I can guarantee you it's $3 more an hour.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, don't get a PhD. Not in this field. I mean, there's right now we have five, maybe six job openings for PhD archaeologists. Six. So and all you can do with a PhD in archaeology is teach. You you don't you don't need one. I'm sorry. And yeah, unless you've think- any. And I see like a lot of folks are like, well, I'll just work in a museum. And it's like, wait a moment. And like David, me and you both worked in museums or curators. It's like you can't just work in a fucking museum if you have a PhD in archaeology. You need curatorial training or like a background or like you actually have to yeah. have worked and gained experience in a museum. To and work in a museum.
1: federal or state jobs in which you have to like have previous federal and state experience and have a federal resume and <laughs> get in all those things and which you get through CRM. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's not always the case. I mean, obviously you know that too, but yeah. it just depends. Yeah
0: but like don't think just cuz you have a phd that opens you up like as david said you'll work your, you'll be overeducated for most jobs just get mm-hmm. a masters like get the two and you know if they want you to get a phd a lot of companies will pay for it so
1: yeah but again if you if you want a phd and there's questions that keep you up at night and you're like i want to fight with my very intelligent colleagues for three jobs that are open even though there's 17 of us go for it <laughs> like yeah you can do it
0: Yeah, just think of the hundreds of archaeologists that didn't get the six jobs last year. They're also in the job market for the six jobs that are open this year.
1: And they're working with me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, In a month or two, I will be in charge of (laughs) (laughs) of (laughs) them. Anyway, we're not pessimistic about the field in any regard. Love archaeology, which is why today we're going to talk about Middle-earth
0: yes that's a fantastic segue so yeah so i i've been watching and david so have you we've been watching war of the ring rings of power you plebe that one but it's based on the ring is is an
1: xbox 360 game
0: that's so good not really it's kind of garbage but i've been watching rings of power uh the amazon tv show i'm liking it so far
1: man how about you i i like it and also if you guys are like i'm gonna out now, don't turn out because this will be it'll be worth the time. Yeah, dude, like a lot of people are hating on it. I, I like it. Let's address the race thing. I don't see anybody complaining that it's race thing. I see people complaining that people are complaining about it being a race thing. And I haven't seen one person be like, I don't want black hobbits. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've seen people say, like people are saying they don't want black hobbits. They're making that up. I haven't seen one person who said that. And let's talk about that real quick. I was thinking about it. Obviously, Tolkien wrote that there's fair-skinned elves. Like, there, it's obviously, he's talking about white people. But, like, what is the issue with just casting black actors and Hispanic actors and Asian actors to play, like, extras in the background or main characters? Like, obviously, in Middle-Earth, it would you could maybe assume that they came from the Southlands or out east or something, and that's why they're there, which might be confusing. But also, like, you can just have various people play roles. It doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, I agree. I don't, um, and I kind of mirror that sentiment. Maybe it's just because me and you have like very curated communities on social media, but I've kind of seen the same thing. I haven't directly seen anyone complain about race, but I have seen articles that are like people are saying that it's about race. So I yeah, kinda... I think it's
1: all bullshit. <laughs> like uh, like most things, I, I don't see anybody actually complain. I have seen people say it's too woke, which might be re- referring to that, but. If having a strong female character that we've known for Middle Earth for years is wokeness, then like riddle me conservative. I not I mean, <laughs> riddle me democratic. I don't know. Yeah. What I enjoyed
0: about this series is that it takes place before it's, yeah, before the War of the Ring, which, you know, Sam and Frodo take the ring to Mordor and like the, it's prior to The Hobbit, the book, and the Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, and what's fascinating to me, cause I was like reading this article, which had my, had my uh, gears turning in my noggin is that those living in the third age are living in a dystopian future where like okay. the events of the second age that was like, yeah, Numenor and you had like the grandioseness of, of the elves and of men and all that's gone by the third age. And like when you like you watch the Hobbit and, and these other movies, Hobbit, um, Twin Towers and Return of the King. The
1: Twin Towers.
0: <laughs> the two Towers, fuck.
1: <laughs> it's okay. R.I.P.
0: R.I.P. I mean it's just the 20, 21st anniversary, not too long ago. But there's all this decay and you know rubble all over the place and when you watch Return of the King they talk about how even Minas Tirith is in downfall or like it's in decline the leaves of like the the tree, the white tree of Gondor hasn't bloomed in God knows how long and so there, these people are living in a dystopian future in which like the height of their cultures was in the past during the second age and it's kind of that longing to get back to it and so you know even like when you watch The Fellowship after Frodo's been stabbed by a Nazgul you know they're in the the ruins of Ammonzoul. Uh, well, they got he got stabbed in the ruins of Ammonzoul, but then they're like taking refuge with Aragorn underneath the stoned trolls from the Hobbit. Right. Yeah. And so, like, I wonder at that point if in the Third Age there are any like Middle Earth archaeologists running around, because I mean, there's like literate and educated people, and I'd be curious because they have all these libraries that talk about all these fantastic mm. things like and they see remnants of these past cultures you know what do they think of them and if there's anyone actually like trying to check things out
1: yeah i guess for context the first age is like with creation second age is where the rings of power takes place which is you know dealing with the aftermath of melkor morgoth and sauron having taken over his melkor was a fallen angel and Sauron is a Maya, just like Gandalf or Sauron or Radagast or Balrogs. They're like an angel-type creature. Anyway, yes, we are living in that aftermath in in that in this series. Even in the Third Age, too, as you pointed out. But an interesting thing you mentioned is, like, are there archaeology or archaeologists going on? We see in the Fellowship and even in the book, too, Gandalf rides to Minas Tirith to... Read the art like the the scrolls, kinda like a library of Alexandria type situation about Isildur and his diaries and like trying to find out more about the ring. And like there's men have those books because men don't live long. If you're a Numenorian, you live like a couple hundred years, but you die. Elves live forever. Mortal men live regular lifespans like we do. Yep. So you would have had Numenorians like Aragorn or elves who were alive at the time of a lot of these events so they would have known like what was going on they don't necessarily need archaeologists but that's an interesting point like men need that they need those accounts and they need those scrolls to know what was going on interesting
0: yeah I mean that's absolutely Aragorn is Dunedain right so like Gondorians come from Numenor after the fall and they're the what are they called because there's like two factions of the Numenorians. You get the black Numenorians that are hanging out in the south on the coast. And then you have hmm. like, they're, they're not called the Faithful. What the hell are they called? The ones that stayed true to the, the elves. The
1: Faithful are what Aragorn's people were. Yeah. yeah. Like the Numenorians that came over. And then they make Gondor and Arnor. And yeah, there's like men that slide. So Sauron goes to Numenor and convinces the men to make the rings. And also convinces Numenor to like be evil. And the ones that aren't evil that side with the elves are given long life. They're gifted longer life and they don't drown in the the destruction of Numenor. And that's when Isildur and Elendil come over.
0: Yeah, and it's a, Isildur's brother. Because it's the dad who settles Arnor. And then Isildur and his brother settle Gondor Minas Tirith and Minas I think it's called Minas Morgul by the. Very good, yes. yes.
1: Morgul, which is then taken over by Sauron and the Orcs, of course.
0: But then it becomes Minas Morgul. But it had a different name before that. It was like Minas something else.
1: Oh, um, I think I think it was Minas Morgul. No, you, you might be right. Changes, but the word you were looking for before, I think, was Dunedain, and Dunedain yeah. are just like ex, not exiled Numenorean rangers, but it's like. A faction of rangers that protect middle earth and like scout things so like they were like, hunting for per- column
0: particularly like arnor like i think like the Dunodine rangers are in the north right because arnor yes. falls to the witch king
1: it does and arnor is where the shire is technically in the remnants yes. of arnor so the rangers kind of protect the hobbits in that area mm-hmm. yeah this was great archaeology talk next segment
0: well, we had it. We have to set up the background, but yeah, we'll get to the archaeology here in a bit. We'll be right back with episode 130 of Life and Ruins and Archaeology Middle Earth here after these messages. <laughs> and welcome back to episode 130 in Archaeology Middle Earth here on the Life and Ruins podcast. So just for clarification, uh, Minas Morgul was named Minas Ethil and was the home to a Ecthelion prior to Sauron taking over the joint, and renaming it Minas Morgul. And it appears in Return of the King, and it's basically it's like the citadel for. Um, Ooh, who's the big baddie, Nazgul?
1: The Witch King. Witch the King.
0: Angmar. Witch King of yeah. Angmar. Yep. So that's his his place. So,
1: which I believe they're theorizing the guy that's with Galadriel and Numenor right now in the series is the Witch King of Angmar, if not Sauron himself.
0: Yeah, because there's only we only know the name of one Nazgul, the Easterling. We don't know oh. the identities of the other eight.
1: Right. I just saw a thing on this the other day. I can't remember his name. But yeah, Sauron turns into his fair form and kind of like, I think this is what Lucifer does, but he like, he's a handsome, charming guy. Kind of like Ras, or not Rasputin was not a handsome, charming guy. But I no, guess was he was, not, was a
0: drunk Russian who liked to fornicate um, a lot.
1: Which, that was closer to Wormtongue in the other movie. But they leave the LaVlorian, the Fellowship, and they go to the ruins of Hen. And Aragorn says to, I think it's Frodo, and he's like, look, long have I desired to look upon the kings of old going down the Enduin River. And they go, and they look at this, and then you get to the ruins of Hen where Boromir dies, and they get attacked by the Uruks, or the uruk High. And, like, there's just old statues, and it's, like, an old deserted kingdom. And, like, I always thought that was super cool in the Fellowship because the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit came out before the Silmarillion, like, long before, so like mm-hmm. there was this sense of like age and antiquity to Middle-earth too that was like super fascinating. And now I'm an archaeologist. So I guess there there was cool archaeology in it.
0: I never really understood the like the actual trail that they all took until like actually looking at a, a map and realizing like how exactly where the fellowship went. And so like those ruins that you're talking about
1: Where Boromir is killed. But what's the orc's name? Orcai's name? He's added into the movie just to be like an antagonist. uh, But his name is Lurtz. Lurtz, that's right.
0: Yeah. I can't remember. What's the history of that place?
1: Amunhen? Yeah. Well, like most places in Athelian or like Gondor, it's like, I think it was just like part of the kingdoms of Arnor and Gondor, like a smaller kingdom. Let me look it up. Amunhen. Early days of Gondor. Yeah, so it's just part of Gondor. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like another area, kind of like Osgiliath or something like that. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: Because like in the the war in the Second Age, I mean like Sauron got all the way to Arnor, like went super west with his guys and like mm-hmm. pillaged the whole whole joint. Like the the history that's provided in the Simrillion and some of the extra stuff is just crazy. The amount of like, background just world building that J.R. Tolkien did is, is just crazy
1: yeah he set the precedent for like what fantasy has to be pretty crazy because even
0: if you look at games like Skyrim there's like over 300 something books within Skyrim
1: Like just for world you find in the books in the game, yeah. Yeah. Just
0: for world building purposes that you don't actually have to read or do anything with or help you at all,
1: right? And there's orcs and there's dragons and giants and things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like he started the the series because of languages. Like he wanted to make languages. He was a linguist. He translated Beowulf as his like dissertation. Mm -hmm. And like I think Elvish is based off of Finnish, and yeah and like the the breadth of the world in that sense is like incredible with all the different languages and then the histories but also like the maps like i have two books they're like maps of middle earth and like i'm sure there's a gis like database somewhere of like different layers and stuff of middle earth but yeah you can trace like the fellowship and things like that but the i don't know the antiquity of it is insane because you can look at the maps and like technically middle earth like, we live in the fourth age of Middle-earth, so, like, that's somewhere... I think the Shire is supposed to be, like, England, which would make Mordor the Middle East, which is kind of rough. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's like... And then there's Beleriand, which sank, and then, like, there was Valinor, but the the gods sunk it, uh, so therefore no one could get to the Undying Lands. Yep. This is in the, the end of the first age, I think.
0: Uh, it's whenever Numenor falls, because... Sauron gets captured when the Numenorians invade. He's a prisoner but like within a couple short years becomes like the advisor to the king of Numenor, poisons his mind and basically mm-hmm. convinces the Numenorians to invade the Undying Lands. And that's when like that's basically it. God who's his name? I think Eru El- Eru Iluvatar basically says, no, no, and like <laughs> orders a tsunami that wipes out the Numenor fleet, destroys Numenor, and El his father and brother, and the true Numenorians are able to uh, steal a seed of the white tree of Numenor, which becomes the white tree of Minas Ethel. And when that gets burned down, they're able to save a seed again and then plant it in Minas Tirith.
1: Oh, right, right, right. Um, Actually, I don't even think I even... Obviously, I read that fact, but that just wasn't even in my head. Good call. It's
0: all just super fresh for me right now because I've been going down this rabbit hole of Middle Earth
1: more yeah. for a while now. 2013, 14 that I took the class on this. So It's been a while.
0: Yeah. Um, Take fun but, classes and, in college, everybody.
1: Yeah. Like this, I, I hunted this class down because I'd heard someone took it. And I like emailed the professor like eight times, like, will you teach this class again? And she's like, I need enough people to say so. And then enough people were like, can you teach this class again? So we did it. Yeah, it was awesome. And she would get into like the length, She broke down Elvish, like the syntax and like everything. She's like, this is how you would say it in Sindarin. And this is how you say it in Eldar. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) 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 Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it was intense. Oh, but I was telling a friend this the other day. She was saying in class, and obviously you'll pick this up too. She was like, in the books, they reference a lot of certain foods. And some of them would be like items... Tomatoes, potatoes, and tobacco. Does anyone know why these would be controversial? And I was like, oh, oh, oh. And I think, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like christian New World Domesticates. And she was just like, very good. Are you an anthropology student? And I was like, I sure am. <laughs> but yeah, that's it, the only thing in the books that are like relevant to like North America, which I think he just didn't think about because they're very British things. <laughs>
0: Yes, but. very much came to to Europe from America type deal. But even like just getting to like the archaeology, some of these things, like in The Hobbit in particular, when they find a couple of those swords, like there's archaeology or at least uh, antiquarianism all the time. It's usually in the form of like weapons. though. like weapons from a bygone age showed up, or like relics. Right. Like when Saruman gets killed at the beginning of Return of the King, one of the Seeing Stones.
1: Palantirs
0: the Plenteers, right? That's from a you know, like there's a lot of these powerful objects that were made by smiths that were trained by Sauron or uh, Sauron, sorry. And right. Sar- Sauron was trained in particular by like the top. Morgoth. Einor smith. Oh, Aule. Cause like Morgoth wasn't a smith. Yeah. Owleth. So like Sauron was trained by Aule, who's like basically the equivalent of, um, Hephaestus, Hephaestus, Hephaestus. The Greek Hephaestus. god of smithing.
1: Yeah, yeah Hephaestus. Or, what's his name in Roman? Mars? No, Mars is boar. Hephaestus is all I know. Let me see.
0: Yeah. Um so and also that kind of goes like the myth, oh, the world Vulcan. building is it Vulcan?
1: I I believe so. Let me see. Hephaestus. Well, oh, that makes sense. Let me check. Yeah, Vulcan. Okay. Huh. I guess cuz like forages and um, hey, that makes sense because the ring is destroyed in a volcano. Yep, full circle, guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what were you saying? Oh, re- yeah, the antiquarianism. Like they just casually mention, like when Thorin and Co. and Gandalf and Bilbo find the swords in the troll horde. Is it Orcrist? Is Thorin's and
0: it's like goblin. Glamdring.
1: Glamdring yeah. is, is uh, Gandalf's. Damn, I'm good at this. They're from the elven smiths of gondolin and gondolin was a huge elven kingdom in the north that is just now gone and like there's a whole book now on the fall of gondolin it's just mentioned in the or no, i think it's in the the silmarillion but (laughs) in the unfinished tales but it's crazy there's just like so much antiquity i guess i keep thinking in prehistoric archaeology there's not much of that in middle earth but there's tons of historic archaeology
0: yeah and even then it's like technically there is no difference between yeah, you know, like uh, historic or prehistoric, because like there are elves who came over from Valinor who are still alive. Right. <laughs> so it's like, there's no, you know, it's like, you know, they, you know, the elves are just doing like world tradition because they could talk to thousand year old beings. They're just like, Oh yeah, I was there. You know, like <laughs> the fact that like, you know, the big, the big fuck, I don't know. I forget his name. I should know this. The elf the that's beast. running. Yeah. The elf that's running Rivendell. Elrond. Elrond. The fact that like yeah. Elrond fought with the Sealdor and has just like fostered all of El kids for like a thousand years.
1: Yeah. Two thousand years. Yeah, basically
0: just watched all of El Il- fuck ups until Aragorn shows up and like unites the place. Like
1: pretty crazy, man. And like I remember my dad, when I was a kid watching these movies, he was like, could you imagine living 3,000 years? And I was like, no. And I bring that up too, because in the class I took, she was like, Tol- um, Tolkien called this the doom of men, like that they had to, that they died. And the doom, the was the gift of ever- men. Right. And she was like, they refer to it as the doom of men, but they call it the gift of men, or the elves call it that to them, because like it's torture living that long like it's it's a pain to them that they have to live that long and they finally are like i'm gonna leave middle earth and go to the undying lands because like this is insufferable but men get to live and die and have a whole life which is why the whole aragorn and arwen and baron and luthien story is tragic because like would you rather have one quick life loving somebody to the fullest or like have to live your entire life i guess with or without a partner i don't know it's tough
0: Which is also why, like, elves are really, like, reticent to go to war, because that's, like, the only time they can die. Right. Like, they're not super thrilled about that.
1: No, but in the shows and the movies, they kind of just throw elves left and right. (laughs) (laughs) Elms deep, no one's like, man, that guy lived for 4,000 years. Better let's give him a good funeral. (laughs) They just, like, fodder. But can we just mention... The fight at the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring, which takes place in the Silmarillion, like that—that's what the Rings of Power will end at that battle. Like the Elves, like taking out the shifting from bows to the swords, and that like lineup of like how they're killing the Orcs was like fourth grade. Me was like, whoa, <laughs> yes, it was insane, dude. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying other histories and stuff. Like Tom Bombadil is old; he can talk to them about histories and.
0: And so, yeah, it's just like there's there's so many there's a whole race of beings that can live forever who basically record everything that happened and ha- are just reminders of the missteps of men. And then you basically and then you have these huge libraries from Gondor in particular, but they talk about a, a begone age or from the height of Gondor. It's just and then it's just really. Like what we see at the end of Return of the King is like the rise of men again, because up until that point, they're really on a subsequent decline since Numenor fell Mm -hmm. in the Second Age. Like there no one's doing great. Like there's kingdoms in the north that got laid waste by the witch king. Like there's a whole separate story of wars that go on there. Dwarves are always getting run out of their uh, halls by dragons or some such and like the reason that you don't even see elves or dwarves help out at Minas Tirith or pelinor fields is because while all the events are happening around there galadriel and the Lothorian elves are like weighing lace or, or defending against they're being besieged by the yeah. besieged by um orcs from Dol. what is
1: it Dol godor something like that yeah it's at the south of mirkwood
0: yeah yeah, Dol which is a huge point in, in the Hobbit series. And then also the men of Dale and the, the dwarves of the, of the Lone Mountain, they actually get beaten by Haradren and they're like held up in the Lonely Mountain. Like they can, can't be breached. Like they actually Harad? lost. Or Easterlings, I can't remember. Easternlings, yeah. So sorry, not Harad. You're right. And so, yeah. Rune, that's them,
1: right? The Easternlings are from Rune? Rune is. East, but yeah, it just I think there's and Harad's just like,
0: in the south. I'm trying to I'm trying to do my Harad yeah. is for South, yeah. Um yeah.
1: but yes, I can't remember Rune is I think it's the Sea of Rune is out there, and that's like just the only landmark we know oh, that's east.
0: Yeah, so they're they're from Rune, which is in the east. And they actually yeah, they beat the men of Dale and the dwarves of the Lonely Mountain Area Boar. And the survivors just hold up in Bore. and once the rune Hear about the basically The ring going back in the volcano they just dip out Like they're yeah. like, oh we can't win this and So like Menace Tirith is just one point Of like this three point plan that Sauron had attacking Like all the races Of Middle Earth all of which are In decline
1: Right. I'd love to talk a lot more about dwarves So let's hop into the next segment Alright sweet <laughs> Welcome back to a Life of Nerons podcast, which is now um, a Life of Tolkien podcast. We are talking about, no, we'll go back to archaeology after this, but I wanted to talk about the dwarves because they don't. you don't get to hear any lore of the dwarves really in the Lord of the Rings because they're not a focus. It's about elves and men, but you get a lot more of it in The Hobbit, but that's really just third age dwarves. But in the creation of the world, the Vala, Aule, who is the smith god we were talking about, wanted to create beings that could like he could teach the knowledge of like smithing to and like have people to help him. So he just created the dwarves and like Ariel was like, whoa, 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 hang on. Like I was gonna make elves real quick and men. So can you just not so he was about to destroy them and then he was like the gods were like, No 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 like you can keep them. Just like make sure they sleep until you know the elves awake. So the elves awake and men awake and then Dwarves are allowed to awaken too, so they're like they worship Aule, which they mention a lot in this the new series. So I, like dwarves are the oldest creatures in Middle Earth technically, which is pretty. But crazy. they didn't have
0: souls, yeah, because the the Smith God made them, and they're like basically automata. It's about to get rid of them. Then Aule is like, no, we'll give I'll give them life, but like the elves need to wake up first, and then do they wake up before men or after men?
1: Dwarves, Uh I don't recall. I know it's after
0: elves. Because the elves are 100% Aule's... Not Aule's favorite. Um, is it Aule? Eru's Aru. uh, favorite. Yeah, Iluvatar or Eru, the chosen one yeah. creator. Elves are his favorite, like hands down. And so, yeah.
1: Yeah, which is awesome. So when Sauron makes it, convinces everyone to make the Rings of Power, the dwarves are like, all right, hell yeah. And they get their seven rings. And then when he tries to corrupt them all with the one, <laughs> the one ring, like... The three rings given to the elves which we talked about last time with connor uh the elves were like ah, i don't know about that but the nine rings were given to men they were like oh then they got super corrupted which we see with the zeal and then they become the nazgul and he was like dwarves you got it you want to help like with these rings and they were like no <laughs> they just like kept the rings and like minded their own business which is why elrond is like they care nothing for the troubles of men <laughs> like the yeah, they weren't were-
0: affected no yeah they- I, dwarves weren't <laughs> affected by the rings. Uh, the one ring and the elves weren't either. Like when Sauron makes the one ring to rule them all, like it, it just alerts the other three, like uh, Elrond, Gladriel, and I forget who the third
1: Elrond, Cirdan, no, uh, Elrond, Celeborn, and no, sorry,
0: Celebrimbor.
1: Celebrimbor, and I think it's Gilgalad that gets a ring.
0: Who's the smith that made them? Is it Celebrimbor?
1: Celebrimbor makes them, but he didn't get a ring. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: And Sauron catches him after burning that city to the ground and tortures the fuck out of him for information on the rings.
1: Yes. That doesn't end well for him.
0: That's when he sends the rings out to the dwarves to corrupt them, but they're too hard to be corrupted and sends out the nine to men and corrupts the living fuck out of men.
1: And he sends, like, I think it's a a Nazgul or someone, or like an emissary to the Lonely Mountain, and they're like, hey, dwarves, you want to help Sauron? And they're just like... Get out! <laughs> and They just like <laughs> like the what you hear about the dwarves from Gimli and Gloin in the, the Council of Elrond.
0: <laughs> yeah, cool. they're not even. They're not. Yeah, because they're not you know ch- really children of Aru. Like they're really, as you said, their own thing. They just want to mine stuff. Like they're just yeah. happy being smiths.
1: And. Like something that's really interesting too is my dad pointed out when we saw the hobbits in the the theaters, he was like, it's like they have this giant mountain, they mine too much, they get too like hung up on gold and jewels and riches, and then they're forced to flee their homeland and wander Middle Earth for years and they have huge noses and my dad, who's not the Jewish one, turns and looks at me and he's like, the Jews of Middle Earth. And I was like, holy shit, (laughs) Tolkien really went deep on that one. But I don't think that was his uh, his intention. But like, it would make sense because the Jews are before Christians and Catholics, which would he would be. But anyway, I just thought that was really funny. <laughs> Never thought about it like that. Yeah. Um, moving on. I mean,
0: he Tolkien got inspiration from all over, all over the world on that. And it kind of, in terms of anthropology, like there is some like socio stuff about the hero's tale. That goes into it and like some of these like major themes that we see through human narratives across the globe are evident within Lord of the Rings. Not necessarily the Hobbit, but definitely Lord of the Rings and his his world building. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, dude, J.R. Tolkien like created this whole mythos for a children's book. Like people forget the Hobbit was first, and the Hobbit is like a hundred page book with pictures. (laughs) Yeah. For his son. (laughs) Like created languages, like backstory for that, and then yeah, he didn't write Lord of the Rings till a little bit after, but he already had all the lore ready for Hobbit.
1: Yeah, because I think he, he had written like mo- like a lot of the Silmarillion before that, but it was like too much to like just throw into a book. So he made the Hobbit to like dip his toes into this world mm-hmm. as a children's story to his kid. And yeah, then the Lord of the Rings was like the expanded sequel to that. That teacher in that class said that when he died, I think he's buried at Oxford Mm-hmm. And like their tombstones with him and his wife say Baron and Luthian, and his wife was like, not down with that. But he's like, yeah, just do it anyway. <laughs> 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 he also was in a group called the Inklings at Oxford, where they like would meet. It's just a bunch of old dudes like meeting up to drink at a tavern. Uh, and C.S. Lewis was one of them too. And then he wrote really? the Chronicles of Narnia in response to the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Which is a lot huh. more overtly Christian.
0: Yes. Basically, yeah, the lion is Jesus.
1: Yeah, but the first book, what is it? Um, The magician's nephew, right. In that book, they get magic rings and hop through these pools of water in this like weird ethereal place where they can jump into different worlds, and one of them is Narnia. And like it starts with magic rings as well. So the, the dudes must have had like some friendship rings with each other in this club or something. Yeah, Aslan. Uh, But yeah, we should probably get back to the archaeology.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess like, you know, we don't see any archaeologists or people passing as archaeologists or relic hunters. People just, mostly the books that we've read, just happen upon relics of the past. But it's like, when I see, when they get to the ruins, or not the ruins, where the hell is it? In the extended editions... And um, Return of the King, when um, Frodo, Sam, and Gollum, you know, are making their way from Asgaliath to the secret passage next to um, Minas Morgul, they come across like statues of former Gondorian kings. And I'm always remi- when I see that, I'm like reminded of my favorite poem in the whole wide world, "Ozymandias" by uh, Percy Shelley. Like, when I see these like major epic monuments that are always like in Lord of the Rings, just like broken and just chilling. I'm like, it brings me back to like thinking about those
1: 19th century, you know, antiquarian
0: accounts of like Egypt and Greece.
1: And I didn't think about Numenor. I mean, obviously it's a parallel to Atlantis being like in, an Island in the middle of the ocean that sinks, but like the, the very Greek and Roman, like vibe that Numenor has in the show was pretty sweet to me. I didn't think about it like that as Aragorn being Atlantean. And so therefore you see all these like pseudo Atlantean statues all over the place. Yeah. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Can you imagine the underwater archaeology of Numenor? Cause it's still there. Like mostly it's made out of stone.
1: Well, yeah, and Valyrian's right. just completely sank. So there's a whole kingdom yeah. underwater. water.
0: <laughs> it's like, uh, what's what's Dodgerland? I mean, it's nowhere near the size of Dodgerland. Or Dodgerland's nowhere near the size of, of that old continent. But like, for those that don't know, Dodgerland is the landmass that used to connect Britain with Europe. And there are like Mesolithic and Neolithic settlements there. They're just underneath the English Channel.
1: Yeah. Yeah, fascinating stuff. A lot of land bridges in the world. There was one between Korea and Japan, too. That's how people got to Japan and Malaysia. Wasn't
0: there one to uh, Australia at one point?
1: Malaysia. Um, Or Sunda and Sahul, I think, were like those areas. But, yeah, that's how people walked there.
0: We haven't found Amelia Earhart yet, have we? Uh, I don't think so. search continues. But, anyways, yeah, I mean, like, you don't – if you only watch the movies – you're not exposed to like the breadth of history that is made, that is in this fictional world. Right.
1: So much, like, yeah. yeah,
0: like I appreciate the movies, but I mean, I appreciate most, you know, adaptations better having read the books, but in particular with Lord of the Rings, like all the background shit that happened in the first and second ages, just mm-hmm. make it because there's, they just drop like single lines, you know, and if you don't know anything, you're like, that's a weird comment to make. But if you know the background, like, oh, they're kind of giving hints to this thing or it's a reference to this one line or one event in
1: this one book. Yeah. And a lot of, like, the changes that Jackson made in the trilogy, too. Or, uh, I forget the name. The lady's name, Walsh something. or first name. Last name's Walsh. Fran Walsh. She and Jackson, like, borrowed stuff from the expanded world of Middle Earth to, like, change a few things which like super fans knew but like in the movies like we wouldn't have like if you just watched the yeah. movies as a kid like you didn't know but yeah i do like that like sense of like deep antiquity cuz like amun-hen like i always wanted to know what was going on there and like i had to read the books to figure that out yeah super cool stuff and like did you play the war in the north? I did. I loved that game.
0: That game was so good.
1: You're an elf, I see ads
0: for it all the time on Facebook, and I did that once, and I actually got Battle for Middle-Earth that way. But you just, like, PayPal this company, like, 30 bucks, and they'll send you a download code, and you can play it on, like, modern... You can get the what? whole suite. Yeah, dude.
1: Like, the one with the dwarf, the elf, and the ranger in, in the Northern Kingdom? Yeah, dude. What? I thought it was only for yeah. Xbox. Anyway, yeah, and that one, like, you're fighting in the north, and you're fighting, like, at Oh, crap, there's another Dwarven stronghold up there that gets taken over by Orcs, Mount something, Gundabad, and there's like a whole war going on there, which obviously Carlson alluded to earlier with like Dale and, and Lorian and Mirkwood, but the dystopian nature of it, like, that's kind of why, like when you bring that up, the Denethor son of Icthelion, is just kind of, like, done. Like, he's the, the steward waiting for Aragorn to return. And, like, they're just facing, like, their imminent doom from essentially zombies, is, like, what the orcs are. And, like, yeah, like, it's just, like, a, a moot point. And, like, like the orc, the hai and the orcs go from, like, village to village in Rohan, like, taking over um, the, the hill tribes and stuff. Yeah, it is, like, a very apocalyptic time. I didn't think about it like that.
0: Yeah. It's just not a good time to be anybody in in this this whole thing. It could have been made wor- it could have been made much worse if the war of the five, Ar- five armies had gone Sauron's way cuz then they've already had a launching point from bore Like there's just so many if anyone messes up, you're kind of kind of screwed. Yeah. And there's like a whole half there's Probably a little bit of two thirds of the continent that we don't see that's at war with Sauron,
1: mm-hmm.
0: doing their own thing, and that's elves and dwarves. It's not like they were lazy or didn't care; like they literally are just doing with their own invasions all across Middle Earth from the north and from the east. And it's like sucks to suck, but they've been dealing with it for since El Elsidor didn't cast the ring into the into the in the mountain.
1: Yeah. Fucking men, dude. (laughs) In terms of
0: like. And then everything changed when Smeagol and his buddy were fishing one day and found the ring.
1: I saw a meme the other day that was like, when she's like, and something happened that the ring did not intend. It was picked up by the most unlikely of creatures, another hobbit. (laughs) Like, I never like thought about that. It's like Gollum's also a hobbit. Yeah, and I, I guess like the ring too. Like we had we had this discussion in class. Is it an allegory for nuclear weapons? No, because he already had started writing the book before World War 2 I thought about it, and like, is it just it's just power, right? And like, what happens to Gollum is essentially like he's a drug addict, and he's like he's like hooked on this, and it, it turns him into like a strung out crackhead. Which yep. there would have been coked out people and drugged out people after World War One, which he would have known about, but like. Yeah, it's just like it's sad what happens to Gollum, but that's really the only allegory for it because no, no one ever really has been gollumed before. Maybe Michael yeah. Jackson, but like, didn't
0: J.R.R. Tolkien like he 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 was at the Battle of the Somme in World War One, right? Yeah, he saw some shit. <laughs> yeah, he yeah he was he was see was a British soldier like one of the most like horrific battles of World War One like the Battle of the Somme. Yeah, he. One of my favorite epic rap battles of history is J.R.R. R. R. Tolkien versus uh, George R.R. R. R. Martin.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's one of his top ones, dude. It was good. Oh, right. And that class we did learn that Gandalf is an allegory for Odin because he comes back from the dead. And his name's Gandalf Stormcrow or whatever. He's got like a million different names. Mithrandir, Gandalf.
0: Wasn't Mithrandir just mean elf friend?
1: I can't remember. That's what the men call him, Mithrandir. But yeah, but I, I his, think oh, that. Oh, yeah. Olarin, Olarin is his actual name. Let me look it up. Olarin, Yeah, one of them might mean Elf Friend.
0: Yeah, I think it's Mithrendiel. Dear, is Elf Friend. That's his Elvish name. Just Elf Friend. Very fucking original. You know, you think these people live for thousands of years. They can be more clever with their names of people.
1: Yeah. Anyway, I guess that's it for the archaeology of Middle Earth. But if you guys, I'll make a post about this on Instagram. And like, how about when you're listening to this episode, comment on that post, like what you find interesting about Middle Earth in terms of archaeology or things that we might have missed. Or if me and Carl are wrong about something, let us know.
0: Yeah, I think we're more accurate about this fictional history than we were about the American <laughs> Revolution history. Yeah, which is really. <laughs> but funny. yeah, I know there wasn't much archaeology, but it's like just fun to kind of come on and, and just nerd out about uh, current topics. Yeah, but yeah. you know, but these are the things we think about when we're watching these things, is like the antiquity of these places, and like, you know, I look at Numenor, like, man. The, that's like 200 years of like underwater archaeological excavations to figure like a quarter of what the hell happened there. Yeah. It'd be pretty wild. Yeah. Oh. But on, on that note, we will leave links to the books down below in the episode description yeah if you're still listening to our show on the all shows feed please stop we really appreciate you you doing that however please subscribe and download to our individual show it helps us grow our audience and we can use those metrics to advertisers and sponsors to show like hey we're worth it because when you guys do the all shows feed we we can't use that in any meaningful way so if you like our show please subscribe and uh and listen to us individually on a Life for its Podcast.
1: Guys, please be sure to rate and review the podcast. If you found this one a little odd and you don't want to rate and review it, I understand. But I know a lot of you do really like the podcast. I've been told that all summer. And like, I know who you are. You might have an alias on iTunes and I don't know if you've given me a, 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 like a thing. But if you have not given us a review, like that literally helps our metrics and it helps Apple like push the podcast up so that we could get more listeners and viewers, which will give you more... Stuff to hear yeah so yeah rate right and read the podcast follow us on the socials and yeah
0: yeah cause right now we only have 99 reviews on iTunes we get like over 5,000 downloads a month so y'all need to you guys need to do some more rating but and with that we are out Thanks for
1: listening to a Life in Ruins podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at a Life in Ruins podcast. And you can also email us at a life in ruins podcast at gmail.com. And remember, make sure to bring your archaeologists in from the cold and feed them beer. David,
0: do you have a joke for us today?
1: I do have a joke for you today. This one is Lord of the Ringsy and possibly not okay. Oh boy. Why was Gandalf always smoking a pipe? Why? Because it was a bad hobbit.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. Sounds good. And with that, we are out. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland.